right, well, welcome to the panel. This is the Building a Successful Kickstarter panel here at Game Hole Con 2023. Um, as always, I'm your host, Zach Goins, with World of Game Design and Tabletop Fanatics. And um, I guess just with a little intro for myself, if you haven't been listening up to this point so far, um, the reason I'm on this panel is I've done about 45 successful Kickstarters over the past four years. Uh, most of those have been in the RPG gaming space. Most of them being in indie RPGs of various sizes and shapes. Um, the smallest Kickstarters that I've done is helping people, you know, maybe do a few thousand buckaroos. And then on the bigger end, I work with companies like Modipius to do Kickstarters that, you know, push up a, above a million dollars. So um, I like the most diving into smaller projects that um, are, you know, somebody's first project or a smaller publisher that doesn't have all the resources. So um, that's been a lion's share of what I've done over the past few years. I am joined by two yahoos, two of the coolest yahoos um, uh, for this iteration of the panel. Let's start with Joe. Joe, what are you up to? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, my name is Joe Rosso. I am now the lead producer at Ghostfire Games. I guess I've been with them for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years now. Uh, I oversee production of pretty well most of the product lines that we have internally, uh, worrying about getting the project from start to finish and making sure all the little widgets kind of get done in between. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, doing some freelancing. I did some with uh, Zach here uh, during that uh, way. And prior to that, I was uh, I was I had a real job. You had a real job. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I hope that. <laughs> what about you, Danny? Um, I'm kind of in the position of being. Uh, it's not like a client, really, but but I'm I'm one of the people that Zach is working with to get my Kickstarters off the ground. I've been fortunate enough to be offered a uh, kind of a line operator job doing the Cthulhu Epics line for uh, World of Game Design. Cthulhu is close to my heart, so it's fun to be able to produce stuff that you and want to make more of. Um, learning the ins and outs of the Kickstarter thing. I got lucky early on with a uh, book that I produced uh, called The Book of Monstrous Might. It wasn't the biggest Kickstarter in the world, but we did you know, we did a pretty significant number, about $155,000 on this book, and I produced a lot of that book. So I can actually offer cautionary tales of where we did not do the things on this list. Uh, we got damn lucky, and uh, you know a lot of things came together to bring us success, but we didn't always do the right things. So um, I guess that's all. Perfect. Yeah. My perspective might have that vibe. That's my favorite thing about this panel. So this is the last. I think this will probably be the last time we do this panel, at least for a while. But we've been doing it now for a year and a half at different shows. Every time we get different people on. And you get different perspectives of where you're at coming into the Kickstarter scene and what lessons you've learned along the way. And if you're listening to this or watching this live, if you're curious about hearing some of those other perspectives, a lot of those are on the Geeks Camp podcast. You can go back and find other Kickstarter panels that we've done in the past. Um, so let's just dive right in here. So what we have in front of you, um, the track for this evening. This is uh, this panel is really designed for people who are new to Kickstarter or who have just kind of dipped their toe into Kickstarter a little bit. Maybe you've done a project or two, but you're looking to kind of juice it up a bit. And if we were going to talk about, we could do a whole series. If we're going to talk about all the phases of a Kickstarter project, right, from start to finish. Um, so instead of doing like a whole series and like or or a four hour panel, we wound it back to what what does the process look like? leading up to launch 
how do you build a, a successful Kickstarter that when you hit that launch button, you can be confident that you're going to have at least some measure of success moving forward. Um, and I think if we can get you to that point, like there's plenty of other shows and things that could help you with marketing from that point on. And we can talk about that even as part of this. And obviously there's other pieces of the pie, but the biggest piece, the biggest hurdle is just, is just when you hit that launch button, not falling, falling flat the first handful of times, or at least hitting the level to where you know you're going to have, you know, if you hit your funding that you're going to be successful and that you can make the thing and that there's not going to be like a major calamity that, that ensues. So, bullet number one, build a budget. Danny, you said you had horror stories. I don't know if it's tied to this or lessons learned, but but do you have anything if you if we dive right into this about talking about budgeting and stuff like that for a Kickstarter that you would you would roll in? Well, I think the only thing I would say about it is I think having a really strong template and making sure that you hit at least all the major points of it is really critical. It's going to vary a lot from project to project. So. Uh, in terms of what you're going to be budgeting for, if you're going to do a mix of art that is, you know, some stock stuff or some other stuff, smaller publishers a lot of times lean on that stock stuff. And there's a lot of good stock stuff out there. You're going to hire artists and all that. And time is probably the biggest part of that budget, building a serious time budget to go with the money because it always is going to take longer. There's always going to be things to crop up. And, uh, for example, in the, in the Kickstarter I was involved in, we had no idea it was going to blow up. You know, everybody's thinking that, that that's what they wanted to happen. But it has problems of its own. Suddenly, printing costs went way up the year that we were doing this. And even though we had tremendous success, we thought, like, costs were chasing us constantly. So our, as we got bigger, the margin actually got smaller. You know, so then when it broke, we actually, yeah, we didn't come out just where it's where we wanted. But building that budget is the honest look. Because now it's not about what you love and what you wrote or what you drew or what the maps you made or all that. It's about, like, can I put this thing across the finish line? You know, so it's that first splash of water, I think. And it's all, it's hard because uh, there's some engineers at the table, um, but a lot of us are creatives, right? Like that's why we got into it is because we love writing, we love art, we love playing games. What we don't love is spreadsheets and accounting, math. Right, and uh, those are all the hall- hallmark. And Hold be your responsible, tongue, Mister. I love yeah, those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 all of those things are kind of almost antithetical to a lot of the creative process or a lot of creators in general. And so, I'm definitely not the person who enjoys sitting down and doing like a huge, like formulaed budget. What I but what I say here is like depending on the size and your ambition, like even just a napkin version of a budget. Is still way more and way more useful than having done nothing. So um, kind of what I put down here at the bottom, there's some links to some really great um, like MixAM and Print Ninja and the Game Crafter. These are places that you can go on websites that you can get a quote without having to talk to anybody, without having to send an email, but just going onto their website and you can look up what does it cost to make a book? What does it cost to make a card game? What does it cost to you know make a hardcover book? Um, and at least get a ballpark in five minutes. Well, at least now you know, because the first pitfall of uh, failing on a Kickstarter or, or not doing a successful one is not knowing what the costs are actually going to be for what you do. Um, and, I had 20, and I had to add 20%, like right off the bat. You don't know what the fluctuation is going to be. So just add it and then sort of proceed like it could get that bad. You know? So the, the one thing that 
I might <coughs> want to pull you back a little bit on is make sure you understand why you're doing the Kickstarter. So you have a project that you want to accomplish. Why are you going to Kickstarter for that project? Um, projects cost money. Are you doing it because you don't want to invest funds that you have? Uh, you don't have funds to invest, so you need to rely on this to deal with the entire lifespan of it. Um, where your vision of successful project is will start to point you in a direction of, well, what do I actually have to achieve on this project? Um, is the funding I get from the project going to change the output that I deliver at the end? Or do you have a defined delivery that you're not going to deviate from, in which case you have to approach that budget slightly differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, talking about like what is your vision for your ideal product or what is what do you want to get out of it and not and even and going even a step further from that. Okay, you're gonna make a book. Well, is the goal to make a book? That's a very noble goal. I had a very cool goal to say, I wanna make a book that has my name on it, that has my ideas in it, that I wanna hold in my hands. Well, that's a completely different goal than I wanna be a publisher and I wanna sell this book for the next five years. And both of those things require a different budget, you know. If you're going to be a publisher and you're going to sell that book for the next five years, then the Kickstarter doesn't need to just fund the book that's going to be in your hand. It needs to fund the hundreds of or thousands of books that, you that you're going to be holding up. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and actually, if, if you think that way, some of your costs start to drop because instead of paying the cost to print a thousand books that your backers are going to have, you're looking at the costs to print a hundred thousand, which... Uh, sounds outlandishly large and would take a heck of a lot of marketing and uh, mm -hmm. audience development. Mm -hmm. But the whole metrics of what that means in terms of the costs that you have to expend completely change. Yeah. If you're buying one or if you're buying a hundred hardcover books, you're probably paying, you know, you could be paying 25 bucks, 30 bucks a book. When you're, when you're buying a thousand hardcover books, you might be paying 15 bucks a book, right? Like it, the cost, either cost go down. And that kind of leads us into that, that sub bullet point there, minimal versus ideal. This is, Danny, you and I kind of worked mm -hmm. on this as, mm -hmm. for one of your projects, yep. right? Huge thing that I really love doing is when you build your budget, think about what's the minimum level of funding, the minimum goal that I have. What's the smallest version of this objective that I am willing to do, right? So maybe the small version is my adventure is a 36 page book and it's black and white and it's a soft cover. The ideal might be, if I could make exactly what I want, it's 72 pages, and it's got some great full-color art in it, and it's a hardcover. Those are two different budgets, but knowing what that range is might be helpful because the reality is you might be able on your first project to earn enough money to hit that minimum funding and make the, the minimum level of book. You might not be able to make enough money to justify the bigger version, the bigger idea. Knowing where you fall and what you're willing to do, what you're willing to give up, what you're willing to bend on, it's going to allow you to know like what what's the win condition for me. And having two different budgets is huge because the more you unlock and the more you hit stretch goals and the more you do whatever, your budget's going to have to shift to accommodate that. So I always like minimum, ideal, and knowing that you're going to be successful at either level. So uh, one of the challenges with that is... 
as a creator or designer, you probably have an ideal of what you want to do, and you just start writing. You just start creating. I'm going to write 100, 100 pages is a lot of writing, uh, but then you find out you've actually wrote 120. But you expect your numbers to be a book that has 80 pages, 40 spreads. Suddenly, if you've extended that amount to get those additional pages, it's not just the words that you have to worry about, it's you have to fill the space. Suddenly, that space requires more art. That, that space, if you're paying a graphic designer to do, you have to pay the additional work that they need to, to do to, to lay the components out. So as a creator, when you're working on this project, it's painful because you have to get good at editing your stuff and killing your babies because mm. you're going to get a lovely idea that will not fit in the budget and items that you want to do. And I think some people have a proclivity to pivot quick. So if you've got to get it down to 100 pages, think about what you want of those other 20 pages. Maybe they can be expressed in other ways. You know, you don't have to lose it. You, you just might have to reapportion it or put it in a different bucket and say, that'll be phase two. You know, I'll put out a supplement right away afterwards and maybe we do that in a different way. You know, I've, I've seen that strategy work, so. Yeah. So we could go into budget a long, we could spend a whole time on budget, but here's the reality. As much as I just said, creators no hate one budgeting. Loves talking no one budgets? loves talking about oh, it or listening to it either. You guys either. are crazy. But we got to stress, you got to stress, like the budget is the big deal and you'll, you'll save yourself so many frustrations by doing even a minimum amount. But anyhow, let's talk about doing your prep. This is this is this is where fun stuff happens. I love I love the prep for doing a Kickstarter because do it prep for yeah. Go ahead. I just like to plan for worst case scenarios. You know, suddenly paper prices go up by fifteen percent. You do what are you going to do? Yeah, you, you're never going to get the right number. Um, uh, put in more than you think is right, and then you'll be close. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like 20% as an answer there, too. Um, I would say... <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's... My Kickstarter failed. Here's the other side of that, right? Like, it's tricky. You, like, I you want to, like, round up on everything. That's the real reality, right? Is what's an... Ex all expenses get rounded up. All potential income gets rounded down, right? Um, and then hopefully it works out. I will say that it the, the farther out you're going to be, like if you're going to kickstart this and you say, I'm going to deliver in 18 months. Okay, well then maybe not even 20%, maybe 25 or 30% because now, now it's questionable. If you're going to turn around and be able to hit the print button as soon as you finish, then maybe only 10. But but I, 20 is a good, yeah, safe. And safe. I've, had a, I've had a printer uh, accept... Sent me a quote. I accepted the quote. I turned in the pages 10 days later. They rejected my quote, issued a new quote that was, it was during COVID. But it was like $15,000 more. No explanation. You know, I just said, hey, man, what's the deal? They're like, well, you know, it's not binding. It's an estimate. And I was like, oh. Right, what well, is be binding? Careful because about it's a book. Yeah, yeah you got to be careful about words like that. When people give you a number... Don't say, well, I'll be lucky if I get this. You will not get lucky. Yeah. You know, you, you could happen theoretically, but probably. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about prep for a minute. Good question, though. Thank you for that. Um, so this is where it gets really fun. So the first thing I'll say with prep is lurk other Kickstarters. 
Holy smokes. There's prop what no matter how cool of an idea you have and how original and how awesome and how much money how many fans, there's probably four or five people who have done something incredibly similar over the past decade on Kickstarter. Um, go dive in, do the search features, do the filters, find the projects that have been successful, the projects that have failed, the projects that are live, find the ones that look like what you imagine your project looking like, and just live on those pages. Take a look at how they do their reward tiers, how they do their stretch goals, how they present their page, how much of the book are they showing off, what's the preview like, what's their cover look like, what, you know, what, what were their timelines? And then look at how much did they make? How many backers did they have? How many comments did they have? And what are those comments saying, right? What are the updates saying? Do they deliver on time? Are they struggling along? Are they asking, you know, the worst case scenario, are they asking for ba their backers for additional money 18 months after the project ended because they ran out? Okay, those are huge things that you can utilize and learn lessons from all those people that came before you. My favorite thing the best thing in the world is to find a Kickstarter. You're like, that's exactly what I want to do. And then just copy it, right? Just yep. just go in and say, all right, their reward tiers are this. Their I've page looks like this. Process. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier when you when you have somebody that's blazed the trail ahead of you. You're not starting on square one. You shouldn't start on square one. Uh, there's 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 a, I mean, there's a there's a awesome Kickstarter that launches every week on the RPG scene. So you can find some that are going to line up pretty close. Go lurk. Go spend some dollars, uh, even if it's just a dollar a project, so that you're following that project, so that you're showing up as a backer, so that you can participate. Not only is that giving you good insight, but also when you go to launch a project, um, there was a poll that was done a few years ago on uh, uh, Board Game Revolution, and that poll, they asked how many of you as backers will back a first-time creator? And 25% of all backers, and that's a very active Facebook page with tons of backers and tons of people, 25% of all backers said that they would not back a first-time creator. That's how low that, that you, so you lose 25% right out the gate. So by the, here's the flip side of it. You can help build backer confidence in you by finding ways of communicating that you understand what you're doing. One of the things that you can do is not have a profile that's fresh and new and has backed zero project and created zero projects and looks like has no social media tied to it. It just looks like a, a shell account. Um, so if you can back a few, it doesn't matter if you back at a dollar at a hundred dollars, it still shows that you backed a project. Back 30 projects, spend a dollar each, and now you have 30 projects on your profile. It looks like at least you're involved in the community. You have anything you want to throw into? Yeah, I, I think what you're relating to is, is helping to build the, the marketing around your brand when you're selling you. Uh, the clear success for me on a Kickstarter is driven by how many people already know what you're going to offer and are willing to follow. So the best Kickstarters, when I say best, the ones that get the largest money and the largest number of followers do that because they've built an audience already. There are a few cases where uh, someone comes out of nowhere and does exceptionally well, but by and far, by far and large, yeah, um, it's it's doing the work up front to build uh, the credibility that your audience is going to follow. And and the thing that Zach's saying helps you get there. It's it's just one piece of that pie. It's incredible. Like it, I promise you, if you go on Kickstarter and you say, "Wow, this this." 5e project does it $150,000 in three days. They did not. They did not get that success in those three days. They they brought over an audience for somewhere else. Um, the reality is that if you're not bringing over an audience and you're building it naturally on Kickstarter or through ads, 
it's going to be a whole lot harder climb for you, and you're going to really have to find crazy ways of standing out to, to climb your way up to those levels. So lurking is a big deal. Knowing how you're going to present yourself and knowing like this is a good embodiment is, is really useful. Learning from the mistakes and successes of others on the platform is huge. Along with that, let's talk about in your prep. And Danny, I'm going to let you speak to it. Uh, let's start off. Art and mock-ups. What needs to be done ahead of time, in your opinion, art and mock-up wise on a project? Well, I think, you know, depending on the type of project, if it's something you're going to kind of present like a preliminary version and just do enough to show that you're really seriously working on the book, like you're going to show some spreads, things like that, but you're not going to deliver it a month after. You know, it's going to take a year, uh, like uh, Rob Schwab's latest weird wizard thing, right? It's going to take him about a month to get that thing all put together. But he was smart enough to know that he quickly locked down what his pages were going to kind of look like. He got some art put built in. He showed what these this stuff looked like. He did that groundwork. He's pretty well established, but he did that groundwork ahead of time so that people knew, you know, well, they already knew what they were going to get from Rob, but then they got to see what the new improved stuff was. And it just, I mean, over, it seems like overnight, he, his last Kickstarter did X. This one did like three or four X of what he did before, but that's because he has a rabid fan base. He has a Discord. He has a whole street team that plays his game. So I, I think what Joe said is totally on point. Like, you have to have that audience but you have to do that front end work and you have to take that risk. It's like so many people tell me like Kickstarter is like a no risk environment. It, there is a risk to your reputation, your pocket. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can be at risk in that situation. You don't want to look like an idiot uh, because that only hurts you. So I think you build as much of it as you can, but then you have to stop yourself and say, I'm not going to build this whole thing out until I know my numbers are behind me. I've got audience that's interested in it. I love that example because it points to something cool. You said he already has an audience, and yet he's still doing some samples, page presentation, oh, showing the cover, all these things that that he theoretically doesn't have to do. He has a reputation. He has a following base, and yet he's still putting in that work to show here's what it's going to be because people eat with their eyes. They buy, they buy based off of what it looks like. They buy based off of art infinitely more than they buy based off your words. Uh, the worst thing you can do on a Kickstarter is write paragraph after paragraph describing your world and your adventure and what you're doing that's different and the new mechanics that you got. No one reads any of that until they've looked at that banner image and a few images in general and said, I think this looks cool. Now I'll read your text and see if it also sounds cool. Is that, is that yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, I know there's uh, some marketing ideas of... of there being different types of consumers in how they uh, interpret what you post on that page. Uh, so by and, by and large, most people are the type where it's the visual aspect. There will be components of your, your audience that, that need to drill down, that need to follow the whole storyline that goes through. Uh, it's a smaller component, um, but, but the visual piece is what initially hits the 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 community and say oh is this something that's and, worth and looking I would say into more creating a fact too is really useful you know if you know you're going to have questions about certain things never write them like just a question with an answer just say people have brought up to me this idea of yeah because now you're talking about things that other people have discussed and it, it, it creates that thing where it's not just a question and answer it's more like a concern that's been raised and then you get the opportunity to answer you get to write the question and the answer yeah so. 
like if you can't make it work right in both ends of the equation, I don't know what to tell you. You know, yeah. like it, that, that's pretty much the ideal situation. So making that friendly as possible, making your yourself as available as possible to really be a member of that community is, is I think that's what we're all talking about, yeah. really. Let's talk just briefly. I'll speak just briefly on to budgeting for art and mockups. So is that maybe? Yeah. Based on the value of the budget. Yeah, Lots of video. Value, not all of them do. Yeah. So Kickstarter is going to tell you that 92% of all successful projects have a video. Well, that's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, right? Um, definitely. Like, are they successful because they had a video? Probably not. They're probably at a level where they're putting in a lot of work. And they were part of that work they've decided is going to be a video. And so that kind of blends it together. That said, um, so we could incorporate video into this. I would say only make a video if you can make one that is going to feel either genuine or awesome or both. Oh, gosh. Like, listen, I have been the person who has made a god-awful video for my Kickstarter page because I had no video skills and no real budget. And so it's like, oh, I'll just figure it out. Listen, you can't just figure it out most of the time. You're like, that's a skill set. It's a yeah. real skill set. It's an art. And so, you know, like my buddy Jeff Jones, who's here, what he does for all of his projects is he orders a uh, proof copy of his book and his video is literally him flipping through it. Well, that's a fantastic video. It's not it's not a high budget entertainment, but it's showing this book is done. It's in my hands. I, I needed money for print run and here's what you're going to get. That's a good, useful video. On the flip side, like Ghostfire, you guys do some pretty amazing, I think, videos. <laughs> Um, you know, they're shorter a lot of times, but they capture the essence of what the project is. They get people excited and mm -hmm. then they get out, right? So there's... Yeah, it, it, I think it's partly how do you best convey, convey the message of what your project is. Um, so at, at Ghostfire, you'll see, uh, depending on the project, the videos are, are very different. Um, so I'm uh, trying to think of... Uh, the pirate ship one was very cool because it had like all sorts of stuff moving on it and is animated in certain yep. ways. Yeah, and, and that was telling cool a story right? that was pulling yeah. you in because uh, it originally was built for our Fables uh, season two, I believe, is Pirates of the Ethereal Expanse. And so there we were we were selling the story. Yeah, and so we wanted a very evocative uh, presentation. Um, whereas for something else where it's it's just a, a small game, maybe it's the the developer explaining, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is how I went through the, the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Don't push yourself, I guess, is the answer there. Like, if you feel really comfortable with it, go nuts. If you don't feel comfortable and you don't have a resource, another person that can help you, then don't worry about it. It's your first project. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. I would say as far as art and mock-ups as a cost, like, everybody wants to know, like, how much should I be spending on this? The answer is you could spend all sorts of money on art. That comes back to your budget. Um, you can get great stock art like Danny was talking about. You can buy a great piece of stock art for 30 bucks on Shutterstock or Adobe stock. That's going to work just fine. There's, I'll tell you, there's some great books in the dealer hall over there that are amazing that I, I promise you have a stock cover because I've seen it. Yeah, well, and there's the Mark Borg revolution where they just went and plundered the Reich Museum. Yeah. You know, and, and that's great because it looks great. I mean, it was a novel idea and more power to them. Yeah. But that only goes so far, you know what I mean, especially the more iconic pieces. So um, 
you know, not to be contra I don't want to raise just something to be controversial, so let's set aside the emotionalism on the side. I think a lot of people now, too, when they spec their art, they're using AI tools to, like, come up with an idea of what they want, but do not ever let that out of the public. That's for the artist to maybe look at, or in place of a brief, or as part of a brief. But uh, we're not in a world yet where that kind of stuff is acceptable, uh, and people have a keen eye. You will not fool people because uh, it does not look like real art. Uh, yeah, by and large, you know what I mean. Uh, Anybody, yeah. you you look at it first. You look at it from five feet, and you're like, "Damn, that looks great." You look at it real close, and except for that person who won the art award, pretty much none of it looks great. <laughs> uh, so you just have to understand. You know, you're going to be really tempted when you're doing this stuff to say, "Well, you know, I did this, I did that, and I didn't have to pay anything for it." But you will pay for it. People make money. People <laughs> people have a successful Kickstarter every week using AI art. So while we're on that subject, but nobody has made a ton of money. Nobody's been met, nobody's made in the tens of thousands of dollars yet doing it. So immediately sign yourself up for a way lower fund rate if you're going to dive into AI. That's Correct. at the base level. Um, I would say, though, just as a key point, if your budget, let's say, is $500, you say, I have $500 I can put into this sucker. I would say at least a few hundred dollars you should set aside for art, and most of that should go into what am I, what's my key piece of art. So if you have five hundred bucks, set aside two, three hundred bucks for your cover uh, initially, and get something that looks great. If you can find that perfect piece of Adobe or Shutterstock stuff that looks perfect, you can spend thirty bucks on it. Fantastic, but don't be afraid to invest a significant chunk in that cover because that will bring in so many backers. Ridiculous number of backers come just off the cover. Yep. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> the reality is, you know, when you do art, you're you're putting you're competing with all the other projects that are out there. So your art is being lined up against every other project that's being browsed through. Um, but yeah, I mean, two fifty is a very reasonable amount to spend on art for your first project. Um, I think I think on my first project, I spent about two hundred bucks on the cover, and I spent another two hundred bucks on like stock art stuff that I scattered throughout the page to to kind of show it off and on my spreads. I think I spent about 400 bucks to get that first page looking the way I wanted it to. And it did not look great for a first time, but it looked great for a first time out the gate, and I was very happy with it. Um, let's touch on a couple of these others real, in real rapid fire way here. So, Joe, I'm going to turn this to you, but I have on here do the work 80% plus. That's me saying, in my opinion, I like to have, if I'm the writer if this and I'm the project lead, if it's my book, I like to have at least 80% of it written before it goes to Kickstarter, because all the work post Kickstarter is a whole lot harder. I don't know what you feel, Joe. Do you have another thought on that? Uh, I I think partially it's the reason why you want a lot <laughs> of that work under the belt is it it's evidence to the community that you're trying to find funding from that you're actually going to deliver um, the Kickstarter. There's a lot of folks that have been burned because they invested in a given uh, opportunity and a year later nothing's happened 
year and a half later, nothing's happened. Three years later, nothing's happened. So what's the best way to demonstrate to folks that you want to fund your work uh, that you're actually going to finish and provide them with the product that they've, they've signed up to deliver on? And that's by, by having that content done. Remember I said that 25% of people just right out the gate won't back up first-time creator? Well, you can help safeguard that other 75% by giving them confidence in any way possible. And one of those ways is communicating, not just doing the work, but communicating that you've done the work. Hey, uh, this book is largely written already. We've got a little pieces left. Maybe the stretch goals aren't written, um, but there's a few things that I that I fail to wrap up. But also, it's just exhausting running a Kickstarter. And you're going to get to the end, and even if you're successful, you're going to be like, I don't want to look at this book for a while. Yeah. And so having written most of it is going to allow you to still stay on schedule. I think it's also like you have to examine why you're on Kickstarter. You know, if you're just on there as a hustle, like you're not going to win. Not long term. Like you'll stumble at some point trying to just do the minimum and always do the minimum and so on and so forth. If you produce the actual thing that you want to make, make it the, first of all, make the thing you want to make. Don't try to market time. Don't try to figure out, well, somebody just put on a pirate's thing. Put on a better pirate's thing. There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's plenty of room in the table, I think, generally for a lot of stuff that's vaguely similar but has your own specific bent. But then also just be aware that if you write that whole thing, then when you're discussing it on the socials, when you're sharing it with people, you have the whole story in your head now. You've That pivot that you made at 50% that you did not see at 25%, now you've got that in the bag. You know, oh, yeah, you know, I should have introduced ninjas over there. Now I got pirates, pirates and ninjas. I just doubled my audience. Yeah. You know, you, but you aren't all pirates ninjas? Yeah, I, I can't joke. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I think making do it like. I mean, honestly, it's just no harder than you want to write a book. Write a book. When you got that book close, think: Do I want to publish this book, or is this just for me and my friends and it's homebrew? Once it's not homebrew, then you say I'm going to do more of this book. And then I'm going to be able to explain this Unless to you're some uh, well-known author that has already delivered a thousand books and proved that yes. he can complete a project and say, hey, I want to raise money for four new books that I'm going to get. Yeah. Um, you're the, um, I would say the, the range of total uh, content that you have ready varies based on how experienced a creator you are. Yeah. So yeah, sure, sure, sure. the... the Newer you are to the game, the closer you should be to the finish line before you go asking for money. Uh, an experienced creator who's got 50 things under their belt, you know what? You can pull that slider back a little. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's move from there to building the skeleton. So we have our budget. We've done some prep work to kind of get a sense for, um, you know, what, what, what my project should look like. I've, done, I've hired out some art. I've done the work ahead of time. So now we're actually like approaching the Kickstarter website. We're saying, how the heck do I dive into this? First off, you just need a basic profile. You don't have to have a creator profile. There's no application. There's nothing. You just dive right in. Um, some key things. We don't have to go through it all. But key things. One, when you're ready to create a project, there's a button right in with your profile that says, I want to make a project. Um, then you pretty much walk through the steps. It's a template. It's not crazy difficult. But there is a couple of like, uh, caution flags and one of those is you have to have a bank account and uh, I don't think anybody here has to worry about well maybe you Joe but about being uh, international in a country that's not uh, 
not a not a real country. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we have we have real money and use real measurement. I don't systems. believe that at all. I don't believe that's not, <laughs> that's not true. Um, but no, you have to have a bank account and you have to have it set up and you have to punch that information in. And it's going to take a few days for them to approve it. So if you wait till the very last minute and say I'm going to launch my Kickstarter over the weekend, you are not going to launch your Kickstarter over the weekend because that bank account is going to take a few days to approve. That you also have to put in a credit card. So they have something if there's chargebacks or whatever. Um, so your that process of putting in the bank account credit card information will take a few days typically to go through, especially on your first time. Making sure that you bake that in, that you know that you're going to need that. And if you're listening to this and you're someone uh, who's overseas at various countries, your bank, local bank, may not work with Kickstarter. You may have to open up a U.S. bank online or something like that in order to make we, that We part. had to do some special stuff too, just how we were funded yeah. uh, as a company that it was a little weird, but, but it got worked out. It took about a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, bank accounts, huge thing. Uh, there's a basic framework of each Kickstarter, so you're going to go through, you're going to punch it, it's going to say, hey, now it's time to build your reward tiers. What do those look like? Here's the cool thing about all that though. You can change that all the time up until the point where you launch the big green launch button. Um, so you build it, you build it all, you say, I think my I think my hardcover book is going to be $45, right? Um, and you send it off for review, you click a button that says, I want Kickstarter to review this, they'll review it. If they don't like it for whatever reason, they'll shoot you a nice email back that says, here's a few things that we would change about your project before we approve it. It's always nice, and typically it's just a very minor thing. They're not there to make sure that your project is successful. They're there to make sure that your project abides by their guidelines. So... There, it's very rare that you'll get an email back that says, oh, your project doesn't sound cool. I've never heard of anything. Yeah, and, and don't worry. Don't You don't care whether Kickstarter thinks it's cool. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, you care about the community of Kickstarter, but you don't care whether Kickstarter thinks it's cool. They're going to say yes because they get a percentage. Yeah. So, you know, they want you to sign up for sure. Uh, an RPG Kickstarter fails on Kickstarter every single day. Mm. So they're, they're approving projects every day that fail. So they're not they're not there to help you in that way. They're just to make sure that the rules are followed. Um, so you're gonna you're sending it off for review. Then even after they approve it, you can go and change every piece of that Kickstarter post review. So you can go in and change the reward tiers. You can change the wording. You can change the the goal amount. You can change everything. So up until launch date, make sure that you got that Kickstarter looking exactly the way you want it to. You, uh, look who shows up like a blister. That's fantastic. <laughs> Bad penny. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, so I, I say that to say that basically, like, don't get too worked up about it. Dive into that process early, as early as you want to, because you've got all the time in the world to get that set up. When you don't have all the time in the world is when you you activate that landing page. And, you know, you have people and you're trying to draw in followers. That's when you really need to start marketing and you really need to start pushing and get the word out. But up until that point, you can have a Kickstarter build on the back burner, on that profile for a year. It doesn't matter. It's all good. So uh, sometimes sometimes it's good to have that built and walk away for a while. Because mm. when you come back to it, you see it with fresh eyes that you realize, oh, I said what? I, I and it's it's the self you can't edit yourself until you've been away from it and and it's not something that you've seen for a while so uh, do it up front as early as you can uh, so it gives that time to sort of marinate in your uh, conscious 
I, I find too, like it's useful to me. I'm, I have pretty severe ADHD, so I got to break everything into little nuggets all the time. And I think to myself, well, I'm doing this thing. That's the art. That's the work, right? But then I'm going to share it on socials. So there's just going to be little tidbits I'm going to give out. You know, I'm, I'm never going to really answer questions fully. I'm just going to raise more mysteries. I'm going to create more questions. But Kickstarter is where I open that window once a month and I go, has anything radically changed? Because that's the only thing my audience is going to see. They're not going to see necessarily every piece of social I put out there because nobody gets the same algorithm. It floats around. you got to do a lot of weird stuff there. No one's going to see the book, really, because it hasn't been made yet. So the only thing you really have control over is that window that they have on that Kickstarter. And anything you put in that window better be the thing. And no fact. You know, go through it and be Hemingway. You know, just take eight words out of that sentence, you know, and, and try to keep it as simple as possible. So the people, pretty much by the time they're done looking at the p first picture and the first paragraph, they're making their buying decision. See. Now it's just, oh, I get something else? Cool. Oh, now I want to make more of that buying decision. But you want to sell them on the book. All the extra stuff, nobody's nobody's buying your RPG for the dice tower Nobody's buying it for the dice tower. Nobody's buying it for the t-shirt. Nobody's buying it for the sticker or the postcard or the whatever. They're buying it because the book looks cool. Um, so be very careful with those add-ons. That's a great like caution. Red flag. Huge red flag warning is add-ons and stretch goals. For the love of God. I mean, that's that's harsh language. But for the love of God, do not do, build those things into your budget and don't build them into your budget if you can help it. Right? Like, like stay away from them until you've got a few projects under your belt at least and you know what you're doing. Because I'm telling you, how many projects have went under? How many projects have went in the red? Mm. Because, you know, they said, oh, we'll do a t-shirt. Well, three people back the t-shirt and their mm. printer will only do a round of t-shirts if you order 24 or more. So they just spent 21, they bought 21 shirts at 12 bucks each. They spent, I'm awful at math, but hundreds of dollars um, <laughs> on t-shirt run. It's now not part of their budget. So. I think people just think they're going to aggregate all these little <laughs> micro bits and it's going to turn into something useful. You don't go to the beach for a piece of sand, a grain of sand. You go to the beach for the beach. You know, if it, you know, so you're not going to be worried about all those little details. It's not going to really sell you anything. Uh, I guess the only time it ever really works is when it is a dead on, like mortal lock, but you can't make it. So, like, I make terrain in my other life. I make wooden terrain uh, and sell it. And did you can buy it downstairs. This yeah, you can buy it downstairs, right downstairs. Uh, but uh, in that case, I had add-ons that went with that. And there was no, you know, it was just like, oh, you want more of what you already see? Cool, you can get this. But it wasn't like, oh, you play D&D, &D, so you must need a dice tower. Yep. Well, you probably already have a dice tower, and you've probably already stopped using it, because that was like 2017. So, like, you know, it's like not necessarily relevant to your thing. Don't bother with it. Yeah. Unless people demand it. If it's somebody printed, suddenly wants it. Exactly right. Huge. Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a great point. Huge point. Like media mail is, is the godsend for an RPG company right now to fulfill because it's saving you so much money. And the minute you offer one set of dice or really one patch or one sticker. Anything that's not a bunch of work. <laughs> On a piece of paper, basically. You didn't, you didn't hear it from here, but you could definitely get away with patches and dice, uh, patches yeah, yeah, and stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna be fine. But um, with a dice, like you're not gonna be fine. T-shirt, you're not gonna be fine. And that, you know, it costs like four dollars and something odd cents for a stamp here for media mail. And as soon as you go to that set of dice, and instead of paying, it costing you six bucks to ship a package out, now it's gonna cost you eleven. That's brutal. 
That's brutal, and especially if you didn't budget it in. So that kind of comes back to budget again, but yeah. Um, okay, this is the big one. I think we'll spend the rest of our time here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Marketing. Marketing connections. I mean, the reality is every time we do this panel, this is what 90% of everybody wants to know the, the this is like where they really are like, how do I get my game in front of people? How do I get people to know? How do I get people to follow? How do I get people to back? And really all of those things are marketing questions. Um, so we'll spend, we'll spend a few minutes here. I put down my favorite three things for people who have very small budgets and not a lot of reach to do to get some sort of an audience. There are other ways of doing it, but these three are like the easy, the easiest, most direct answers let, let me clarify it's not easy it takes effort like it, yes it, yes to, easy, get yes, any, but to be successful on any of these it it requires follow-through like you just have to i'm going to do this and actually do it um sorry I no you're up. great that's no that's you. totally correct 100 patience these, too. having lots of patience i'll clarify these are easier than being a youtube sensation that's bringing a crowd <laughs> with you to kickstarter they're easier than being a twitch streamer with you know 4,000 uh, subscribers. Um, they're not easy. Um, that's absolutely right. So we've got marketing connections, other creators, creator groups. Holy smokes, this is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Go to cons like you're doing right now and get on uh, Facebook groups, Discord groups. There's a million. For, there's I've listed some down here. There's a more core creators Facebook group that I'm a part of. Crowdfunding Nerds Facebook group that helps specifically with Kickstarters. For RPGs and board games, holy smokes, that's a great resource. Uh, RPG Zine's Facebook group. If you want to make a small RPG supplement, like this is a no-brainer. It's filled with creators who have done this just the same as you. They would love to help. They'd love to give you ideas for printers. They'd love to give you ideas for how to market. For they'd love. I mean, there's a million things that they could help with. Not only that, creators are some of your best buyers, like because they're already nuts for it. They already live in it. They already like it's, it, they live and breathe it. So. If you're a part of that community and you're showing off your stuff, you're going to get buyers from them more with more frequency than any other group of people. So get into those groups, be friendly, ask questions, answer questions if you can. And uh, when the opportunity strikes and when it's ideal and when it's not looking like a shill, uh, put your stuff out there and ask questions about it. Ask for input, ask for criticism. People will help you and you'll get backers from it. So other creators and creator groups are huge for finance and you'll find a discord group for almost every system out there and you'll find a facebook group for almost every system i'm not a big social media guy but i do those things and, and it does help any other notes on that from you fellas it's it's a long game it's not something that you're gonna do in a week or two it's i'm gonna do this kickstarter whatever date uh down the calendar the minute you start thinking of i i'm gonna do this um start the marketing bits, start to build your audience, start to deliver a message, start talking about, hey, I'm thinking of working in this area and here's some concepts I'm working. It's building that audience so that they realize you're an individual who has a vision and is interesting and, hey, maybe maybe there's something there that I want to see. Um, if, you, if you do it two days before you launch the chances are you're not going to do as well as you think you are. Yeah, Zach gave me this big warning, and I took it to heart right away because, um, and I still didn't have enough time because I'd still kind of got on the boat too late, but not as late as I probably would have. Um, yeah. 
it's big. And and the other the other thing that I think talk about like one of my first projects that I did, I can I came to a con, I connected with some creators, and one of them was a really nice guy. He's actually down in the hall. You should go buy his stuff because he's cool. Uh, but Limitless Adventures, um, Andy Hand, great yes. fellow. And one of the best, the nicest things that anybody's ever done was when I was a Yahoo. I'm still a Yahoo, but when I was a younger Yahoo, um, my first project, he blasted it to his whole email list of 10,000 people. Just because he's like, oh, I met that guy at a con. He's cool. I like him um, for some reason. And he, I didn't have an email list of 10,000. I didn't have an email list, right? That was huge for that first project. That just came from coming to a con and making a genuine connection, and that connection accidentally paid off with a very nice return. I mean, that was an accident. You can do that on purpose, uh, but still be genuine about it. Yeah, well, it's the thing Colville talks about. As soon as he got mentioned on Critical Role, so that's what it leads to that head. Like, I'm going to get Matt Mercer to tweet me once. You know, and that's, but that's not how it works. You just got to grind. And if you're not ready to grind a little, then it's not going to work out. And I think there's one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is like, well, I don't want to post too much because then I'm worried about offending people and stuff. And I'm Midwest nice too. I get it. We say please and thank you. But I'd much rather eliminate one person because I overshared my creative dream. I mean, like it's my dream. I'm sharing it, you know. But a lot of the people are going to connect with that and be like, oh, I'm getting another update. No, they'll tone you down. If you're doing too much, they'll let you know. It's not like the zero-sum game where, like, you have to know, like, the magic number. There's no magic number. You know, you just have to keep – just do what you normally do. Just yeah. tell people about what you're doing and how cool and fun it is for you and how much fun they think they're going to have when you finally get to share it with them. The second one here is the hardest of these three, in my opinion. That's the podcast slash YouTube reviewers and interviews. Like, get it's, it's valuable. Every single one that you can do is valuable. But it's really hard to like find the right podcasters or YouTubers or whatnot to get in to put your stuff in front of. If you can get a few of them, though, it's huge. Not just huge because oh, I'm on their channel. That's a media source that then you can take and put on your Kickstarter page. You can put on your website. You can put on your socials. It's something that you can use and that's going to have legs at, across a lot of different places. So one podcast that you did with a guy who maybe has a hundred listeners, right, or something very small. That's not a big deal. I mean, like, it's not just about those 100 people. It's about being able to, again, add legitimacy and confidence to backers to say, here, we got the word out over here. It makes you feel a little bit, it makes you look a little bit more legitimate. And it also is something that you can put that, like I said, on your socials. Having an active social page gives backers confidence. I don't know how many times I've seen people post on a Kickstarter and be like, I've checked out this company's social and it hasn't had a post since 2015. Like, all right, well, that backer is not going to back your project. That's the reality. True. So, yeah, even if it's just content, even if it's just a tiny, tiny reviewer, it, would you add anything to that, Joe? No, I think we covered most of it. All. It's hard, though. It's hard to find the right people to find your stuff. And the best answer I can give you is start early, like Joe just said. Listen to podcasts, browse YouTube, and find people that you connect with and then try to connect with them, just like you do with the creators. Connect with the, the streamers and the whatnot. Find where they find where they hang out in their Discord or in their whatever. And then you know, find the right opportunity, the right moment to strike up a conversation. And say, I'm a huge fan. I love your stuff. I feel like my stuff is a good fit for yours. Are you interested? So the the real reason why you're doing this is to get a backer to make a decision to press that little button to say yes, I want to buy you. And so. What is it that you have to do to get them to press that button? 
first you have to, one, they have to be aware of you. And that's where uh, getting more eyeballs on your, your page is important and developing your community and getting ways that it's seen by folks. Two, get them to accept that, yeah, this is something real and, and uh, I'm probably doing this in the wrong order, uh, but uh, that you're doing something that will actually be delivered. But three, the, the important thing is it's interesting. And that's where the, that initial presentation of, hey, if this is you deliver a message of what you're trying to do and why it's something that they want to buy. So all when you're presenting your message, always think about how your customer will think, oh, yeah, that's cool. It's, it's presenting your message in a way that they will appreciate. I always think of it like a movie pitch. And I'm not afraid to say things like, my latest module for Call of Cthulhu is a period piece in the late part of the 19th century. It's sort of part Briscoe County Jr., for those people who remember that, and part Big Trouble Little China. Well, right away, I don't have, then I can go on to explain what I mean by that, but I'll just say that and be like, you know, they get that Scooby-Doo look face, and uh, and then you can then you can move on. And there's more and more people now that are doing this thing. I just did a podcast on Friday night, which like right before the, last Friday, which I did not have time to do. I honestly could not take an hour out of my day because I was so busy producing what I was producing for the show. But I took time out, and the guy only had like 70 people on. He had a very active chat channel. It was sort of a game show like Hot Ones where we'd play a couple rounds of Merkberg, and then he'd talk with me for 10 minutes. And then we'd play a couple more rounds, and I was supposed to get through some little dungeon or whatever. I kept losing my head, uh, literally. And so, uh, so uh, and then, but at the end of it, he said, listen, I, I said, what do you get out of this? You know, and he goes, well, I'm building a showcase. I'm building my library. I'm getting content from you. You're getting on here. You're saying outrageous stuff. Cool. You know, you got your funny hat, your cool glasses. You know, people want to watch that, I guess. So that's great. And at the end, he says, I'm going to cut this video up. I'm going to spend two hours. I'm going to cut this video up. I'm going to give you all vertical shots of like your funniest moments or when you rolled the critical or whatever. So I get a media package at the end of this. That has got like six or seven posts of highlights from the show that I can post ad infinitum. I can use them as long as I want because they're sort of evergreen. So finding people like that that will actually give you something tangible back. They are video editors. They do know how to do that. And you're giving them content. Go on there, be a little outrageous. Say a couple controversial things, you know, if you really feel them. And they get what they want, you know. So I think there's nothing wrong with getting on. you got to beat your own drum. You can't just be like earnest about that. Sometimes you have to be a little bit of a punk rocker and be authentic that way. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So, I love that. All right, let's do this last one here, which is Facebook ads. So everybody wants to know, if I have money to spend on marketing, where should I spend it? Our experience is Facebook ads pay out way more than any other ad for RPGs. Like, And, and as a sample of this, uh, Twitter has a huge RPG following. There's a million people on Twitter. <clears throat> We, so what's what is that? Yeah, uh, uh, I have heard of this, but I, I stay off. How do we um, give up a verb? How yeah. do we give up? We don't have tweets. Twitter X. How about that? X. We have X's. X. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we we did a crazy thing where um, with one Kickstarter that we did, we said we're going to go all in on Twitter. So we did Twitter ads, and we had we only hired writers that had a Twitter following. Um, a reasonably significant Twitter following. And we said, we're going to go all in. We got all the writers to contractually agree to post about the project like three times during the thing. Like, it was like, we're going to go nuts on Twitter and we're going to find out what happens. 
less than 1% of all the revenue generated from that project came from Twitter. Like nothing. There is no buyers on Twitter. Twitter is great about yelling and, and yelling at each other and yelling at the universe in the <coughs> void. It's not a good space to spend your money. <laughs> and the truth of it is it's not good. That most of the other social media platforms and places aren't good either. Facebook is weird. Facebook is where, I mean, what it, I've, I've heard, I've had people telling me for years now, Facebook is dead, only old people on there. Well, guess what? Old people are the people that have the money. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Winning. <laughs> so go talk to them, right? Like what you'll find is that your, your, your purchasers are typically people who are 35 or older, typically 45 or older, if you want to drill down into it, like. 35 to 65 is where most RPG gamers live right now. Um, and most of those people, their social media platform is still Facebook. So go go spend the money over Plus there. Plus it's a group. It's a group-oriented thing. Yeah. Right? You bring people together to talk about things together. People don't do that on Twitter. Or Instagram, you know? yeah. They try to emulate it. They don't really. Yeah, and 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 if you're not if you want to expand out from Twitter, uh, Google Ads is or for Facebook. Google Ads is fine. And if you, and also if you have a lot of great art, Instagram is fine. And you can actually build on Facebook on the meta. You can do uh, ads that are targeted for both Facebook and Instagram. So you can do them all at once and kind of a one ad package. That's great too, but only if you have a lot of killer art. If you're more of a, I have a few good pieces of art, but I really want to sell people on the idea. That's a Facebook post. That's a Facebook ad. Um, you and we can, just cross-post automatically using Meta. Yeah. So we automatically do Instagram. We yeah. just don't really care that much. But we still want to put it out there because you might attract a few yeah. hummingbirds around the feeder there. But, I mean, maybe not, and it won't matter. And, and it's I, free to do. So. And as far as the ads go, what, what I typically do is I, I like to start doing paid ads 30 to 60 days ahead of the Kickstarter launch. And kind of a trickle feed, see how well they're doing, see, you know, adjust things. You can do A-B testing, all sorts of things on there. Uh, Facebook actually has some nice features and components in the meta that will help you work on your ads and will give you data on how which ads are performing well. Um, so I would say, like, diving into that is, is worthwhile. Um, but then on the back end of that, um, once you're getting close to launch, I like to save a chunk of my marketing ad budget for the day of launch. And just dump a good chunk of that money right then to have the biggest launch day possible. Um, because the reality is that if you're not fully funded in 48 hours, you're losing backers. Uh, if you're not funded in 48 hours, you've done something wrong. Or it maybe you're, you've got some learning to do is probably the better way of saying that. Is the, I, I remember there used to be a yardstick where um, in the first day or two days is 33% of your funding and the last... 24 hours is the other 33% of your funding. Is that still true? Still pretty much true. For, first 48, last four, 48. Um, you're going to get a third of your funding in the first 48 hours, a third of your funding in the middle, a third of your funding in the last 48 hours. The more, the bigger you are as a company, the less that holds true because you'll get more of your funding up front because you probably have more followers up front. But if you're a starting out person, if you launch at, if you have a goal of a thousand bucks and in the first two days you do 150 bucks, you might be like, man, I've got, about 28 days to go, and I'm already 15% of the way there. You are not 15% of the way there. You are a long ways from there. You're going to end up around 450, 500. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to pull the plug early. That's fine. Hit the ripcord, cancel it, restart later. Like, Don't wait till day 28 and you're looking at it and you're saying, man, if I can get $400 in this last two days, I'm really going to, it's going to win. 
You're not going to get that 400 bucks in the last two days. And the quit is, it sounds terrible because you never want to think you're going to quit, but the quit is a win if you're not going to make it because nobody's going to remember the quit. There's only 150 people there in the first place. You know I, what I mean? So when you circle back, I you the always plug. get a fresh start, I think. I pulled the plug on three projects over the course of the last four years. All three projects I pulled the plug on early because I didn't like where it was going. We relaunched two of those projects and both of them funded in the first 48 hours after that. So looking at it, learning the lesson, evaluating what you did wrong, asking backers, asking your friends, asking your peers what you think you did wrong, rebuilding the page, relaunching, and I think there's a very good chance that you'll have success. So canceling a project isn't the end of the world. Failing to deliver on a project that was successful is the end of the world. So um, always choose the first one. And um, you'll save yourself a month of anxiety if you pull the plug early as opposed to pulling the plug late. Like We did a break-even on a physical product, and it we did okay. I mean, we did about seven, eight grand, and it covered all of our, our R&D and all that. And we knew, because Zach had told us, we, this was our first Kickstarter under this new brand. And I said, we're just not going to make money on it. We're doing this to learn. We're doing this to figure it out. If we can get paid back for our R&D, that'd be great. And we did. Yeah. So you kind of got to know why you're doing it. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what we've got for you, but we, yeah, we have time for a couple of questions if, yeah. if you want to follow up. I have one question, and I also have another question. Suggestion. Sure. Yeah. So if you're also doing a book and you're distributing through Drive Through RPG, can also use your customer, your current Drive Through customers as a marketing solution to email them. So I would assume that email Yes. Sorry, I was just going to suggest repeating it. So the yeah. So the question here is, what's your price? Is there a price point or a price difference between what you're offering Kickstarter backers versus what you're planning on offering it at retail later? Right? Is yeah. there a difference? Is there not a difference? My fast answer is, Kickstarter is a risk thing, right? Like if you go to a con and you buy a book off the shelf, there's no risk involved. You bought the book. You could look through it. You could flip through it. The product is real. When you're on Kickstarter, there's always the chance that the backer, the creator doesn't deliver. And even if they do deliver, you're they're, you're delaying gratification as a backer by sometimes two two or three years. That's got to count for something. So it doesn't always have to be a discount on the product, but it should always be an additional value somewhere. So I, if I'm going to give a discount, it's typically typically going to be just enough to basically justify the shipping, right? So if I say, oh, it's going to cost eight or ten dollars in shipping. I might discount the product down to where that kind of breaks it, pulls it back up to retail pricing. Not a huge amount, though, because that's a danger zone of cutting into yeah. your profit. A lot of times what I'll do is say, hey, we're going to do, at this point, I might say, like, hey, we're going to do an exclusive or a, a free PDF version of a thing, right? Like a bonus PDF that we're going to sell later, but the backers get it for free if you're backing. Or we're going to do an art print, a 5 by 7 art print that you can get as part of your pledge. Or... Uh, patches, right? I do a lot of patches. And you might even think about holding that back to like two months out and just say, hey, we just finished the quick start guide. There you go. 
Yeah. So now as they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for their deluxe book to show up, they're getting little trickles and stuff from you that keep them alive in the pocket, you know, and they yeah. want to keep 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 coming back at you. So some sort of a value, but it doesn't have to be a lot. Don't like the there's a true danger in saying, man, I really need to give a huge value here. So you take your fifty dollar retail book and you try to sell it for thirty five. I mean, I've done that before. I've I've helped on projects like that before and you can do it but really the reality is if somebody loves your cover and they love the idea they're going to pay $50 for it just as quickly as they'll pay $35 you're not selling off you're not yeah for sure those two numbers for sure yeah yeah you're not you're not you're not making you're not convincing so many people that they have to buy it by dropping $10 off that you're going to make up for the fact that you've discounted every single backer $10 off yeah good question any others so so at So the question is, um, for for the podcast, uh, um, pointing out that we did this panel at Origins and um, we were talking with a couple guys and now their Kickstarter's live right now to send $2.5 million. I don't know what Kickstarter that is. So the fast answer is no. I, other than chatting with them for a while and, and having a great conversation. Zach, I, I was on that panel. I will claim the root. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Joe had a lot to do <laughs> with that. Joe was on that the panel, answer. but I like to coattail in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, that's very cool. Congratulations to them. That That's that's excellent. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll claim – I think I'll let Joe claim like uh, a half a percent of that. And, Danny, you can have another half. So I, I wonder if we can go to them for like a percentage. Yeah. Of yeah. I think, I think if we team up, we'll yeah. show up at night. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it and uh, have a good time.